1: Welcome back to the MLB.com StatCast podcast. I'm your host, Mike Petriello, joined by MLB.com national editor, Matt Myers. We also have a special guest today, our friend, our colleague, MLB.com writer, Will Leach. Will, hello. Thanks for spending
0: some time with us tonight. How are you? How's Georgia? Uh, I am I am well as anyone can be reasonably expected. I'm a huge fan of this podcast and honored to be uh, on every time. I, my favorite podcast. I always feel like it's just the two hosts or the three hosts. Hopefully not more than three. Then it's very confusing. Are having a conversation that I just get to listen in and feel like I'm a part of. Now I actually get to be a part of it. So I'll try not to. I'll mostly just listen to you guys because that's what I'm used to.
1: Well, I don't believe a single word of that, but I appreciate the kind <laughs> words anyway. Um, we brought on Will tonight because we're going to do something pretty fun uh, over the last couple weeks and months. Will and I have gotten together to do some fun drafts. We you know, drafted uh, potential MVP candidates. We drafted uh, one to 30 potential World Series teams. Um, a good way to fill in the gaps between baseball. And now we have an incredibly large gap between baseball. So we thought we'd get back together and draft. Uh, The last quarter century of World Series teams, going back to 1995 through 2019, uh, that would be the wild card era of baseball, 25 winners, and uh, Will and I went from one to 25. And Will, before we go through this, um, if you just think about this entire exercise, I know I struggled a little bit with, wow, there's three Giants teams. How do I (laughs) care what the difference is? Or no, like, wow, the Yankees really won a lot. Um, Did you feel the same way? How did you approach all this?
0: Yeah, the the Giants were the hardest one for me because all none of those teams were particularly inspiring in the regular season. A couple, one was better I think than the other two, but those were almost indecipherable. And the and the Yankees teams too. At least you can go like, okay, one of them was when they had Wetland, and one of them was the team that only won certain uh, number of games. Like it's, I found those were it's hard because you know that's the idea of a dynasty, right? Like imagine if we were trying to do this in like the like, hey, let's do. 20s and 30s Yankees teams, or so <laughs> I'd be mean, like, okay, they all they're all after you had 27 Yankees, they're all kind of the same. So I, I, I to me, uh, the fun part of that though was actually noticing the differences that there were between those teams. The idea of like 2014, Brian Wilson was nowhere to be heard of, but in 2010 he was the hero of those Giants teams. So even though it feels like those Giants teams were uh, were the exact same team, kind of when we got a chance to look at them, th- they, they did have some differences.
1: Yeah, for the record, uh you selected none of those teams.
0: Yes, I know. And, I am still irritated but like I feel like there were forward. so many better teams every year. Sorry, 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 sorry.
1: Yes. <laughs> all right, Matt is going to be RMC Matt. Are you going to do this in like the uh, you know, Roger Goodell with the third pick in the 2020 World Series draft? The I don't Whitey think would
2: be I don't think I would be quite that dramatic, but I, before we before we get fully immersed, I will say that I've been looking forward to this all week and there's in you know, <laughs> these 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 sort of uh Tough times. There's not as much to look forward to, so I've really been looking forward to doing this draft with you guys. I will give a tip of the cap. I feel like the kind of draft format in podcast form, at least in sports podcasts, was popularized by uh, Joe Posnanski and Michael Schur on their podcast, Uh, so I want to give a tip of the hat to them um, because I've been uh, entertained for years now at this point with some of their silly drafts. This one's a little more straightforward, but um, let's get it going, shall we? The first pick was Mike. Of the twenty-five World Series champions from nineteen ninety-five to two thousand nineteen, you have the first pick. Who'd you take?
1: I felt like the I hate to pick the chalk in these things. It's like picking Mike Trout to win the MVP because of course you're going to. But how could I not go with the nineteen ninety-eight New York Yankees? Um, I don't know if they're the best team ever, but they are at least in that conversation. The ninety-eight Yankees won one hundred and fourteen regular season games. Uh, before just steamrolling over the Padres in a World Series that was not even close. Um, This team kind of had it all. They outscored their opponents by 309 runs. And, you know, we're going to talk about a bunch of Yankee teams. We're going to keep coming back to Jeter, Posada, and Bernie Williams. Um, But this team had, like, maybe Jeter's best season, or at least up there, you know, peak Mariano Rivera. But what I really like about this team, uh, and this is a theme that will come back when we talk about the Giants, I promise, is I always love the, like, out of nowhere guy who just makes a great team even better. And this team had Shane Spencer who had 10 home runs in twenty-seven games uh, at the end of the year. I wouldn't say this team had a great rotation, like Pettit, Wells, Cone, Urabu were all pretty good, but still they are the 98 Yankees. How could I literally choose anybody else?
2: Can I offer a somewhat contrarian take on the 98 Yankees? Sure. I take them with a little bit of a grain of salt because what happened in 1998? what changed what happened
1: uh the mark
2: mcguire's home run
1: race
2: it was an expansion year and stuff always happens in expansion years 1961 was an expansion year what happened 61 61 roger maris it was al expansion roger maris has the home run record 1998 expansion year uh mark mcguire sets the home run record the yankees won 114 games um they were in the same division as the Tampa Bay Rays and they went 11 and one against the Rays, uh, outscoring them 60 to 22. Um, so I do think that weirdness happens in expansion years. So I think that, that like, actually in my mind, it's always kind of colored the Yankees a little bit. Cause not just you get to, do you get to, to beat, to beat up on a, on a new minnow in your division in this case, but also like every other team in the league is like a little bit weakened. And I thought think it sort of like makes the great teams look even better. I also think back to the, um, the 93 season, which everyone is always talks about, it's like the last great pennant race. And, you know, the Braves won 104 games and won the NL, NL West back when they were in the NL West. And the Giants won 103 games. That was also an expansion year um, with two new teams joining the NL that year. And I looked this up today, I didn't even realize it. The Braves went 13-0 against the Rockies that year. <laughs> outscoring them 106-50. to um, So anyway, that's the... I'm not saying the Yankees are the wrong choice. But I don't think, for that reason, I don't think it's like uh, a slam dunk.
1: Can, can I counterpoint your counterpoint very quickly? Sure. Uh, you said they beat the Rays 11 out of 12 and outscored them 60 to 22. That's true. That year, they also beat the Kansas City Royals 10 times in 10 games, outscoring them 78 to
2: 22. <laughs> Um yes, a a bad Royals team that was made even worse by having to get rid of lose some of their depth in the expansion draft. <laughs> um, anyway, that's my that's my that's my semi-contrarian take on the Yankees. But um Will, you picked number two. Who did you take? Okay. Fortunately my next two
0: picks will have no asterisks whatsoever and nothing up in the air but either one of them. So fortunately we'll get that book closed right quickly. Um, you know, I thought you talked about uh, Mike, all the different how to differentiate between all the teams that won, like the Giants teams and the Yankees teams. What's interesting is I actually don't find it hard to differentiate between all the Red Sox teams that won the title. I think they're actually it's kind of clear actually uh the 2004 was kind of the breakthrough year the 2007 was kind of the i think that's the that's the one red Sox year that was like not really even inspiring that much to red Sox fans 2013 was the you know the, uh, the patriots day and big poppy and all all that stuff but i actually think the best team of them was the 2018 red Sox. uh you know they won more games than any team than red Sox history 108 I believe is how much they they ended up winning and it's what's interesting is it feels like we spent that entire season saying okay the Red Sox have the best record, but have you seen their bullpen? If you look at their bullpen, that's that that's going to be the thing that gets them. And then they got in the postseason, and their bullpen finally showed up the way that when Joe Kelly turned into a, into a hero, and everyone all kind of showed up the way they wanted them to. If I can pick the 2018 Red Sox that has a good bullpen, I actually think they can probably beat just about anyone. They their offense was obviously incredible. You had Sale uh, as as the as the kind of the only time he really would kind of be an ace uh, for the Red Sox. Uh, the Red Sox had all of these championships teams. This one, and again, there are uh, questions up in the air about this team, but I would say of all of them, this seemed to be the most dominant of all the Red Sox teams and uh, my second overall pick.
1: You know, I I ended up picking the, the um, Red Sox, uh, 2007 Red Sox later, and I had the exact same feeling, like, who, who, who was this team? <laughs> you know, they weren't the curse breakers. They weren't the dominating team. They were just like, it was a weird team. We'll get to that, but I, I had exactly the same reaction as
0: you did. I, I do feel that. I do a little bit when I, I wrote about that team a lot that year, and it was funny because it was a good reminder that Red Sox fans spent their entire life going, oh, a World Series. All I want is a World Series. And in 2007, they were like, eh, all right. Yeah, that was, that was all right,
2: which was an auger for what was coming over the next decade for Boston sports. I'm, I'm with you, Will. I think that like if you assume that like the bullpen, the Joe Kelly, the dominant Joe Kelly-led... Postseason bullpen was their like real bullpen. I think I might take the number one, but of course, that's kind of like a big if considering how they pitched over the course of the year. Uh, Mike, you were third. You went with.
1: I went with the 2016 curse breaking Chicago Cubs. Um, if not for the the overhanging questions over the 2017 Astros, I probably would have gone there. I felt the Cubs were here were a safer pick. Um, if you like mystique and narrative, obviously the 2016 Cubs have all of that, but they also had what was one of the most elite run prevention units of the entire live ball era. If you look at a metric like ERA minus, which is just simply how many points better than league average were you that year with 100 being league average and lower being better. The Cubs that year uh, had a 76 ERA minus 24% above the league average for that year. That is in the top 10 uh, all time. And eyeballing this year, only one, two, three, four of those teams came after world war two, uh, including the 1993 Braves of Smoltz and Gladix and, and and Matt and um, Smoltz Glavin and Maddox and uh, the 2018 Yankees. And, you know, obviously they went out and they made the move for Chapman. They gave up tours. This is the year we're not going to give this up. Um, They had, you know, stars, right? Like, Chris Bryant won the MVP. It was like Fowler's a really good year. Uh, even Jason Hayward, who was generally terrible, gets extra points for his great speech in the postseason. It's it's the Cubs. They were a great team. I'm very comfortable with this team at number three.
2: And one thing you mentioned in your in your in the, your write up in the story that I totally forgotten about was Kyle Schwarber basically missing the entire season and then coming back and playing like in four games in the Arizona Fall League and then. DHing and like getting some in the World Series and like getting some big hits for them, which is like kind of wild in retrospect.
1: I, I don't think I have ever written a story for our site that got more negative feedback, including from some of our own writers, uh, than like three weeks after the World Series saying the Cubs should trade Kyle Schwarber because his value will never be as high as the legend is. They should trade him for pitching. Uh and that never happened. But I can tell you, Cubs fans in November 2016 were not pleased about that take.
2: <laughs> I guess I guess I cannot uh uh Really blame them. All right, Will, number four, where'd you go? Thank you for not
0: asking me to comment on the 2016 Cubs. That was a minor <laughs> mercy in this difficult time for both of you. Uh, this is where, uh, you know, I I wonder when baseball does come back, if everyone will still remember that they're supposed to be really mad at the Astros. Uh, but, you know, this team, this 2017 Astros team, what's interesting about them is they were great. You could also maybe make an argument they were even a little better in 2018 than 2019, uh, but uh, this is the one that won the World Series, and they were, you know, fantastic. And one of the things I think has gotten forgotten because he struggled so much the last couple of years. This was back when Carlos Correa was the guy that we were more excited about than Alex Bregman. Like he was terrific uh, uh, that year, and you know I think that uh, it's easy now to look back and say boo boo boo, but like people were rooting for this. Yeah, be, I don't know if they were rooting, but I don't think they were. They were. Were the villains uh then that they were now and i'm often of the belief that you know if uh, if something happened happy happened in the moment even if later you're supposed to feel bad about it or so on i feel like there's something like that moment still happened, and if you enjoyed this Astros team, it was a very exciting team and a very fun team to watch. Uh, again, we can make an argument how much they were or were not helped, uh, but in the in the moment, this was a pretty fantastic team. And again, I think you can make an argument that eighteen and nineteen were better, uh, but uh, this 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 whole Astros
2: era, they were so good, and this was the one I picked. I mean, it's not. It's certainly not hard to make an argument that eighteen and nineteen were better. They they got Garrett Cole, who they did yes, not yes. have. Right. That's, that's true. true. It's a pretty. It's a pretty straightforward. Yeah, but that's straightforward.
0: A, that said, uh, we'll, we'll get about this when we get to the Phillies. But you, it's also very like like those teams had they, all they had was Hamels, so like you know they obviously
2: all got better later. I, I mean, I, I'm I'm uh, I'm with you. It's hard to it's obviously it's hard to judge them now, but they they were a juggernaut. That team was you know, you know. Unlike something we've already pointed out, weaknesses in like the 2018 Red Sox, the Astros didn't really have that kind of weakness. They had a good rotation, they had an incredible lineup, and they had a good bullpen. So it wasn't like you know it was uh, there was nothing you you couldn't really you couldn't really nitpick them. So I it's it's defensible despite the um, despite the uh, you know yes the the narrative around them now. I guess we'll say. Mike, number five, I was very interested in this pick. I thought this was, uh, I was surprised to see this team go that high, but I got to say, it actually kind of makes sense.
1: (laughs) That's, boy, that's a lot of pressure. Uh, The 2009 Yankees, right? There are, again, a lot of Yankee teams to go through. And the more I thought about this team, uh, the more I liked them. You know, what drew me to them was pretty obviously the 103 wins uh, they had. But as I started remembering like what this team was about, I'd kind of forgotten that in 2008, the Yankees, You know, by their standards, weren't that good. You know, still won eighty nine games, but third place, Uh, and they kind of reacted with this old school. We're just gonna buy everybody we can. So they spent like four hundred and twenty million dollars on CC Sabathia and Mark Teixeira and AJ Burnett, and all three of those guys were were fantastic for them. You know, Sabathia was the ace that they long needed. Uh, Both Sabathia and Burnett threw over two hundred innings. Teixeira, thirty nine home runs, he was fantastic. Um, The lineup is really funny if you look at it because. If you look at let's say OPS plus, right, 100 is league average. Uh, everybody up and down the lineup, the the nine regulars were outstanding. The the uh, worst guy was Melky Cabrera, and that was a 93. He was basically league average, and nobody else was less than Johnny Damon at 118. You know, this is A-Rod, this is Pete Jeter. Um, these are like the, the fun guys too. Like Nick Swisher was there. You know, Hideki Matsui, who's still a, a Yankee legend, was there. Uh, and, you know, 37 year old uh, Andy Pettit was there. Phil Hughes in the bullpen. Like this team had names. David Robertson was in that bullpen. I feel like we only talk about the 09 Yankees now in the sense of the Yankees haven't won the World Series since 2009. And it feels like that just undersells them. Like this to me uh, is the second best Yankee team behind the 98 group of, you know, this Jeter era run. Um, and yeah, maybe five overall is, is pretty hot, but I'm, I'm happy with it.
2: I, th- I think it's because I know a lot of Yankees fans and they just don't have an affinity for this team. Like they do the other teams because unlike it's, you know, the Yankees had this reputation of like, Oh, we just, you know, they just buy a world series, but like the teams from 96 to two, to, through 2000. Yeah. They had, you know, big payrolls and, and, and such, but it wasn't like their star players were all homegrown guys. So, um, and even like, you know, who they got Clemens, they got him be a trade. Right. So it's like, it, this was the. This was actually, and then in the early two thousands, when they, when they started really getting aggressive with free agents, you know, they went out and got you know, uh, Jambi, which didn't really pan out. Then they went out and made a couple of really ill fated moves. Your Carl, Carl Pavano's, your Jarrett Wright's, um, some that really did not go well. And then to, o- O9 was actually the first team that really was like driven by free agent acquisitions. And I think that for that reason, that just like the fans never connected to it. So I think that like. They don't get pumped up the same way other, like, you know, the teams of other Yankee lore do. Yeah,
0: they're also the, an argument for the idea of how much does, how important is it that a flag flies forever? Because a lot of those contracts that they gave to those guys really helped them in 2009 but caused them all sorts of trouble for the next decade. The one that they did not make the one that famously did not make a world series. in. so uh, that I, I, I have to say, again, my sympathy for Yankees fans on this, I suppose, but uh, on, it's certainly weird to, to think the idea that you, uh, you lose uh, that, that, the thing that I always thought was funny about this team was, you know, they spent all of this money and had their billion dollar new stadium right after the financial collapse. <laughs> it was just really weird. It was like the Yankees just being like, ha ha, we're still the Yankees. And then they won this year. But I do think the money that they spent that offseason, I mean, I'll put it this way that AJ Burnett contract was not looking great in 2012. And uh, the Sabathia hung on for a little bit as well. So uh, uh, they it worked out that year. But I, I do think it cost them and, and forced them to kind of rate it a little bit down the line.
1: I'm I'm so um, excited for the insane pick you're about to make, Will.
0: <laughs> yeah, I don't understand why you're so against this pick, Mike. You gave me trouble in the document too. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Number six. Let's get weird. Will let's go. Number six. It's not
0: weird, man. First off, this team was dominant in the postseason. Let's not forget that either. Lost one game, I think two games in the postseason. This is, and to me, this is the all time underappreciated team uh, really of this century. It is the 2005 White Sox. I love this team. Uh, it's probably a little bit of an emotional pick on this, but, but don't worry, I didn't pick any Cardinals above them. So it's not that emotional. Uh, I loved this team. Uh, I've always felt this team got lost a little bit for two major reasons. One, their star was hurt all year. Frank Thomas is the last year of his career with the white last year with the white sox and he he got finally got his ring but was was barely on the team for most of the year and two, it happened you know it happened right after the Red Sox championship and after the Red Sox it was like wow history history and the White Sox finished uh, set in the curse that had lasted almost as long if as long but no one was they were like yeah 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 that's the other team <laughs> and then uh, and and I think after the oh, that happened to the Cubs in 03 people really did overlook this team this team was solid everywhere and I know that sounds like uninspiring but I think that there's something to that they had they had, they had a terrific rotation purely was great that year their closer Dustin was Dustin Hermanson and he was Awesome. Dustin Hermanson was awesome that year. I also had for, forgotten that Brandon McCarthy was 21 on this team. I find it hard to believe that Brandon McCarthy was ever 21. Like, that seems weird to me that he's ever that that young. Uh, so, for me, I always, you know, they said that El Duque, who was fun. Uh, and of course, and they also had a great villain. AJ Prezinski was a terrific villain in this team. Paul Canerco is a White Sox legend forever because of this. Their postseason had the advantage of being both dominant but also very exciting. They had all these close games against the Astros. I have always been very ride or die on the 05 White Sox. Uh, who, again, who breezed through the postseason. I think the hangover of 04 made people overlook how good and how fun the 05 White Sox were.
1: But it's, it's like a running joke now that people forget about them, right? Where there are like you know, three different ESPN lists where they just weren't even yeah. noted.
0: <laughs> and, yeah, and they're the other team. Yeah, they're the Generation X of, of, of World Series champions. They're the you, one that ever, they got passed over on both sides. Um,
1: I sort of mentioned the great thing about this team, but you didn't quite get to it. That's my favorite thing about maybe any baseball team. Um, their five starters, their five main starters made 152 starts. Mm-hmm. And Brandon McCarthy made the other 10. And that is it.
2: I, I love that so much. It was definitely kind of a traditional, like that classic team where it was like driven entirely by the starting pitch. Even in the playoffs, like they barely used their relievers. Like their, 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 their starters were going seven innings every game through the playoffs and they just uh, tore through. Uh, as as well mentioned, they lose one game in the playoffs? Yeah,
0: they lost one game
2: and they swept the um, World Series. Um, I do have a, an amusing uh, 2005 White Sox story that I will try and tell quickly. Um, so that summer when they were you know, having their... Um, they're, they're, you know, they were like kind of like having their moment as like the hot team in the summer. Uh, ESPN, the magazine where I used to work, used to do, did a big feature on them. And um, this is a secondhand story. Um, so I was, I was not there for it, but I've heard it from multiple people who are there. So I, I feel like, you know, I've got two sources on it. I can corroborate it. Um, they did, this was back in the day when magazines would do like high concept photo shoots, which was like kind of a thing that you don't really see anymore. So they did this like, um, I don't know what the inspiration for it was, but it was, they did like a Sergeant Pepper's. A photo shoot where they dressed up all the players in the White Sox in like to make it look like the, the cover of Sgt. Pepper, Sergeant Pepper, uh, Pepper Lonely Hearts Club Band, uh, and they had you know four of the players dressed up as the Beatles, one of whom was Juan Uribe, and the four guys dressed up were like all joking around. They're like, "Oh, which one of us is George? Which one of us is Ringo?" And Juan Uribe says, "What are you talking about? They're, like, we're the Beatles." And he said, "Who the are the Beatles?" <laughs> 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 um anyway, this 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 team was entertaining. It had a lot of entertaining characters. Juan Uribe for one, uh Carl Everett, Tadahiro Iguchi uh Timo Perez. Um I could see why someone would have an fitting for this team. Number six. Anyway, number seven by <laughs> got Don't forget, by the way, starting shortstop Wondery, but if you (laughs) remember, (laughs) if you remember late career, like corner infield or maybe a little pudgy Wondery, but that is objectively hilarious. He did have Um, that that, that in the game four against the Astros. I think it was the second to last out. He like had that like, uh, catch where he went, like he ran, like, uh, he was like shifted over over towards the over second base and he ran like deep into left field to make this catch by the, uh, by the tarp, which was pretty awesome. But anyway, uh, for number seven, seven,
1: I kind of went the exact opposite of what Will just did with the the uh, 2005 White Sox. As you said, the 05 White Sox were solid. they got a good rotation one through five, you know, a deep lineup. Um, the 2001 Diamondbacks were the exact opposite of that. They had two starting pitchers, almost legitimately had two starting pitchers, uh, Curt Schilling and Randy Johnson. You know, I think everybody knows one of the greatest duos in, in pitching history. I think one Randy Johnson is maybe like a top five or 10 pitching season ever Um, He was in the midst of four straight Cy Youngs. The rest of the rotation is hilarious. Brian Anderson had a 520 ERA. Robert Ellis, who I do not remember, had a 577 ERA. And then if you look at the lineup, uh, yes, this was the year Luis Gonzalez crushed 57 homers. And then also Reggie Sanders, who I've I've always loved Reggie Sanders and found him to be terribly underrated. Uh, 33 homers and an 886 OPS. That was kind of it. Uh, You know, like you look up and down the lineup, it's like, oh, yeah, you know, Tony Womack. uh, Jay Bell was okay. Oh, yeah. I remember Damian Miller. I remember Damian Miller. Um, This team is the epitome of stars and scrubs, perhaps more than all others. They had two good starters, two great starters, uh, two very good hitters. And that's it. beung and Kim, I guess. But, you know, they they took down the Yankees, which I guess gives you extra credit because nobody needed to see another Yankee title at that point. Uh, but yeah, this, the the stars and scrubs team to end all others, the two thousand and one Diamondbacks.
2: They were certainly built both for the playoffs, right? <laughs> the way they were able to 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 ride Johnson and Schilling, once they got there, they you know those guys were pitching basically you know two out of every three games. It seemed like so uh, that that model worked out pretty well for them. Um, Will, you're up next, number eight. Who do you got?
0: Yeah, here's where, here, once again,
2: uh, I will go,
0: I'm going a more uh, emotional way. It's hard to not pick, uh, to let the 2004 Red Sox go any farther down from this. Now, I know that they did not, in fact, win their division, but they did win 98 games, and they were obviously right with the Yankees uh, pretty much all year. In fact, I think one of the things that... That uh, people have forgotten a little bit about that ALCS. Obviously, they fell down, th- fell behind 3 0. But heading into that ALCS, I think there was a general perception that after coming so close in 03 against the Yankees, that this was the year they were going to do it. So when they fell behind 3 0, it's just like, oh, well, now they're really doomed. And of course, we all know what happened after that. Uh, I would still argue, as I do in the piece, That the 2004 Cardinals were better than both the Yankees and the Red Sox uh, this year. Unfortunately, they ran into an absolute uh, buzzsaw uh, that was the Red Sox this year. No one was no one was denying Jimmy Fallon and Drew Barrymore that year and their and their lasting love. I don't think there's any question about that. So uh, I I always like to look back at teams similar to like the 2002 Super Bowl champion Patriots that now we all pretend we hated at the time but we're at the moment we're all rooting for. I feel like the O4 Red Sox are absolutely one of those teams. So, uh, it made it gave me no joy to see them uh, do this at on the on the Bush Stadium home field though I will always give a love to the same ushers who let all of the Red Sox fans in that were with, who had made the pilgrimage to St. Louis to have this they actually let them in when it was clear in game four, the Cardinals were going to lose. They let them into the stadium. they got to have that moment. Uh, so uh, good, good for the Red Sox. It provides me no joy, but uh, uh, I enjoyed this team. And uh, they were awesome, man. Like, they had, like it's funny to think that, you know, this was Manny was great and Ortiz was great and Gama was at, at, at his peak on this. Uh, Jason Veritek had, like, this pretty awesome year that year. I always forget how good Jason Veritek uh, was in that. And then, obviously, uh, you know, the, the top two of Schilling and, and a little later era, Mar- uh, Pedro, but uh, uh, still a good one. And, of course, Keith Folk. Keith Folk, out of nowhere, uh, becoming the guy he came. It's the 04. It, it's the 04 Red Sox. They're the idiots everyone was happy
1: with. Yeah. Well, I got to say, I, I lived in Boston at the time. I was like a year out of college and not a Red Sox fan in any way. But you're right. You know, the Red Sox win and everybody just like rages on Kenmore Square, you know, hanging off the light post and everything. And it felt good and pure and organic in a way you couldn't imagine feeling about more Boston teams winning titles right now. You know, that and the first Patriots Super Bowl. Th- those were the two. And then after that, it's like, oh, yeah, this is this is going to be a thing that keeps happening. Huh? Oh, it's yeah, not,
0: good for you. Yeah, no, you go.
2: good for you. Right, right. <laughs> um, all right, Will uh, and Will. Uh, Mike, you are next. Ninth pick. Who do you got?
1: We are uh, deep into the Red Sox-Yankee portion of the (laughs) the draft here.
0: run on Red Sox-Yankees. Yeah. uh,
1: The 1999 Yankees, this is kind of where I I, I got into, how am I picking between all these various Yankee teams? Um, The 99 Yankees won 98 games, which was somehow 16 fewer than the year before. And as you might expect, it was with most of the same guys. But uh, they were actually kind of a very different team because the performance has changed. Like Scott Barasha has had a great year in 98, pretty lousy in 99. Derek Jeter had his best hitting season, uh, probably his best season overall at age 25, you know, 24 homers, uh, 153 OPS plus Um, they made a big move uh, that Matt just alluded to over the winter, right? They traded David Wells, who had been fantastic in 98 for Roger Clemens. And you kind of thought to yourself, wow, this is a huge upgrade, right? Uh, Long-term it was, but in 99, it actually wasn't. People kind of forget Clemens wasn't that great that year at a 460 ERA, um, but if you look at the 99 Yankees, I think I always think of uh, Orlando Hernandez, you know, El Duque coming uh, and being just a like, masterful in the playoffs. 30 innings, four starts, four earned runs. Uh, like, again, yeah, this team wasn't that different from the 98 Yankees. Um, I know 98 wins is fewer than 114, but if you're in the middle of a dynasty, you know, they can't all be the greatest version of that team.
2: I mean, it's, that, that was Jeter's best year, um, I think. I don't want to say pretty, in my mind, it was pretty clearly his best year, although he somehow only finished sixth in AL MVP voting, uh, despite hitting 349, 438, 552, and being Derek Jeter. Um, this is like the example I hold up when people talk about East Coast bias. So I'm like, <laughs> if there's East Coast <laughs> bias, how did Derek Jeter not win MVP um, in 1999? The other play I want to mention on this team, and I want, I want to get your, both of your takes on this, because it, it has always kind of driven me crazy that there's this core four thing and it doesn't include Bernie Williams. No, oh, I hate uh, it. I, I hate Bernie, it. <laughs> Bernie Williams of the 99 Yankees hit 342, 435, 436, played in 158 games. Um, Jorge Posada, who is considered part of the part of the core four, who was barely on the 96 team in the 99, hit 245, 341, 401. How is it possible that this like narrative took hold where there was a core four where Bernie Williams was not in it but Jorge Posada was. This has never made any sense to me.
1: Oh, it's it's timing,
2: right? I mean, yeah. Bernie Williams is
1: older. He came he was up in 1991 before. But
2: he was on off you know. he was he was a star. Arguably, he was arguably the best player on there. <laughs> like over the course of that 5-year run, he was arguably the best player on the team.
1: Oh, I, yeah. I agree with you. They just didn't come up at the same time. I, think yeah. so
2: I mean,
0: he was he was on the 1992 team that won 76 games. Right. <laughs> and, and the best player, in my according, according to the best player on Baseball Reds my war that year was Melito Perez. So <laughs> the, the, like, he the fact that he was just a part of those teams. And so by the time that those guys got there, it was fresh and they were new. And Bernie was, you know, he was, he'd already been, there. he was getting better, but he didn't feel like the, like they showed up and they won. Whereas he had been there for
2: a while. I guess it just didn't feel like he was that much older than those guys and that he was like, so disconnected. I, I see what you're saying. It just didn't feel like he was so disconnected from, from those, from those players. So as to seem like from a different generation, you know, this wasn't like Paul O'Neill. Right. Um, so I don't know that. I always thought that was a, uh, that was weird. I'm a, i am will, I will always uh, you know, stand for Bernie. He was a, uh, I my favorite Yankee player of that era. Um, all right. Number 10, Will. Okay, again,
0: still in the Yankees-Red Sox portion of this. And I think it's telling, right? These teams are all won a ton of games and they all had a a really bunch of stars. I went with the 2013 Red Sox. Uh, Certainly, you know, if you, this was the Red Sox team that won the World Series and you were like, okay, fine, you can have this one. You guys had a rough year. <laughs> and, uh, you know, to me, the the much to remember this team, you know, they, they obviously, they had the best record in baseball. They tied the Cardinals, actually, because they played the Cardinals in the World Series, and they both tied for the best record uh, in baseball. But really, you know, this was the team that the whole kind of town rallied around. But all I really remember, uh, Clay Buchholz was amazing this year, which is very strange to even look back at now. But honestly, what... Uh, you just to interject wrote, there, I
2: didn't realize this because I looked it up when I was reading the piece. He had a... I did had no recollection of Clay Buchholz having a one seven four ERA in one hundred and eight innings with a twelve and one record. That, yeah. I totally did not have no recollection of that, of that happening.
0: Yeah. And, uh, and, and it's weird because, you know, I think when people think of more of like lackey and Lester uh, from that year, and also Koji Yohara was amazing for that team. He really, you know, it was his first year and he came in and just, just confused everyone. He had a one Oh nine ERA, but it really is what Ortiz did in, in the playoffs. I mean, yeah, this is the slash line for David Ortiz uh, in, uh, in the world series uh, six 68, 761 point one eight eight. Uh That is uh, that is bugs bunny getting, that's actually better than Bugs Bunny because I think Bugs Bunny just got singles when he went from uh, from base to base. So uh, uh, Ortiz, I, I was at that every game of that thirteen World Series, and it was. Uh, I don't think I. I it really felt. I, I remember Bonds. I watched Bonds. Uh, it was. It was the only time I ever thought this guy is doing what Bonds did. It was. Uh, it blew me away, and to do it that year while well, he was the center of everything they were doing, and that team was great.
2: That was also what the year I, the uh, the bullpen cop, right? Yes, yes,
1: yes. What I always remember about that team is so the year before was the total disaster, right? Like the, the, I
2: thought, it was the, 2011 was the disaster.
0: Uh, well, I mean, the, the, no, 2011 was they lost the last the last day of the year. Yeah,
2: yeah. 2012 was when they made the trade with the Dodgers
1: to right. so get get rid of Carl Crawford and Josh Beckett
0: and Adrian Gonzalez and Nick Quinto
1: and basically say, uh, we are totally resetting. You know, we are starting from scratch. And then they went out and they kind of, you know, got all these, uh, you know, veteran guys to come in like Mike Napoli and Shane Victorino. Um, you know, th- th- these are the guys who came in and like there's four or five others, I think. Um, and they really proved that the reset was going to work a lot faster than you thought it would. Um, you also mentioned, by the way, Clay Ball Colts is 174 ERA and that's true, but let's not overlook one of my favorite relief pitching seasons of all time. 38 year old Koji Yuhara uh 109 era by getting a 101 to nine strikeout
2: to walk ratio 101 (laughs) to nine at 38 years old um that was it was it was it was it was it was a there was so much of that team had so many as you said you know with the obviously in the, the wake of the boston marathon bombing and then big poppy and his emotional speech and then um the 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 bullpen cop moment which sort of like was like okay it almost felt like at that moment it felt like when they beat the tigers it almost felt like uh uh it had that team of destiny feel um uh after that um okay mike 11
1: but before i say my team at 11 will earlier you said that one of the three san francisco teams was clearly the best which one because i think i did this wrong uh
0: yeah i i actually always thought it was 10 yeah okay
1: it was 10 uh, now, having gone through this, I also think it was ten. But at number eleven, the twenty twelve Giants, um, I what I had I tried to do was split the difference, right? Because uh, the twenty ten team, you know, like Kane and Lincecum were great, but Bumgarner wasn't quite there for the full season. And by twenty fourteen, Kane and Lincecum were basically finished, but Bumgarner was great. So I sort of uh, went down the middle, partially because Buster Posey was absolutely fantastic. He won the Most Valuable Player Award this year, and. You know, Bumgarner obviously was great. Matt Kane was still pretty, actually really good, uh, 279 a year, right? This was also the year uh, that Barry Zito, you know, remember uh, we we're deep into Barry Zito's career. Uh, actually, I think I'm a couple years. Ago. I'm already confusing these teams. I think Barry Zito did what I was about to say a couple years later. But anyway, uh, in 2012, they had uh, not only, you know, Buster Posey being fantastic. Melky Cabrera again showing up with a fantastic year. And every single one of these Giants teams, uh, if you ask a Giants fan, they will bring up names like, you know, Travis Ishikawa or or someone who had like this one random moment. Uh, but they always had these guys who would show up for half the season or a full season and have just like the San Francisco version of Cardinal's Devil Magic, which I know Will is very familiar with. On this team, it was 36-year-old Marco Scudero hitting 362 385, 473. Um, I will also always remember the way the World Series ended. Sergio Romo making Miguel Cabrera, one of the 10 greatest hitters ever, watch 89 miles an hour right down the middle of the, end
0: of the World Series. I
2: love that. Well, that, I mean, that World Series, I will, I, that World Series was the one um, I was at all four games of that World Series. Um, game one was Justin Verlander coming in on full rest you know, sort of like young, like the early, like the first peak version of Justin Verlander. I'm not sure if that was his MVP signing year, but he was still like, you know, amazing against washed up Barry Zito in game one because the, the, they just got, I forgot who they'd squeaked past, but they couldn't they couldn't line up their rotation. Um, so they Barry Zito and was like, okay, well the, the Tigers are obviously going to win game one. And of course that's the game where Pablo Sandoval hit three home runs in a game, which is one of the coolest things I've ever seen watching a guy hit three home runs uh, in a World Series game. Uh, and then after that, it was sort of like the series was, the series was done. Um, a fun side story there. That was also uh, the series where after, I can't remember if it was after game one or game two. Um, I was working at ESPN.com at the time. And um, uh, my boss and I, we left the ballpark around an, an hour um, after the game ended to go work and edit the rest of our stories at the hotel because we figured it would take a while for the writers to file. And we were like, oh, let's just grab something quick to eat. So we went to Jack in the Box. We're waiting online at Jack in the Box. And who's in front of us online at Jack in the Box? <laughs> It's Tiger's catcher, Gerald Laird, <laughs> 60, 60 minutes after, uh, I can't remember if it was game one or game two, but uh, it was definitely Gerald Laird. It was pretty funny. Uh, anyway, uh, 2012 Giants, that was probably one of the least exciting World Series. I think so oh, we, God. we lost a little bit of it. Uh, game three and game four in Detroit, it was like zero degrees. And um, I remember there was a, uh, that was when uh, Hurricane Sandy was coming. So like half the country was kind of just like not tuned in at all because that was happening in the in the backdrop. Uh, so it was a it was a it was a weird one.
1: and by the way, I was right, this was the year that Barry Zito came and just yep. sort of shoved in the playoffs out of nowhere. Uh, you know, three three postseason starts here and three earned runs.
0: Car- Cardinals are up three one in that NLCS and facing Zito at home with a chance to clinch and he shut him out. <laughs>
2: <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of the Cardinals, Will, mm-hmm. at number twelve, your
0: selection is uh, yes. If you, if you were disappointed with the 2012 World Series, I have some good news for you uh, for, my, uh, for my next pick. Yeah, I'm, it is the 2011 Cardinals. Uh, it is worth noting again, as you may have noticed in this conversation, I am a Cardinals fan. Uh, through, um, I would say, mid-August, this might have been my least favorite Cardinals team <laughs> in many, many years. They were so frustrating this year. And of course, then Tony La Russa it was officially made by John Moselec, like, but really everybody knew it was Tony La Russa had gotten so frustrated with Colby Rasmus, who was obviously going to become a Hall of Famer. What an idiot that Tony La Russa didn't realize that and traded him for bullpen help. Uh, which was Octavio Hotel and Mark Chachinsky and Edwin Jackson were, were the three guys. And all three guys were old. None of them, they were all free agents at the end of the year. It was a horrible trade. And then, of course, turned the entire Cardinal season around. And the thing about this team is, yes, they were unexpected. They were ten and a half and games out in mid, mid-August. They, had to, they took, had to have that incredible run to make the playoffs. Uh, and then on that last day of the season, they had to play that great Phillies team. Uh, in the in LDS, but I will say if you take a step back and see when this team was playing the way it was supposed to, it was really good. It was a really good team. Like you had you had Pujols in, in his last year, where he was still really good for the Cardinals. You had Molina. Uh, and in many ways, Pujols and Molina kind of carried them down the stretch when they were way down. You had Lance Berkman, who they almost traded at the deadline to the Rangers. Fun little factoid from that year. You had Chris Carpenter. You had Matt Holiday, and of course you had David Freeze. Uh, you know th- we'll get to another other Cardinals team later on that won the World Series. For a long time, uh, after the Cardinals won in 06, Cardinals fans were very defensive when people were like, that team wasn't very good. That team wasn't. They didn't deserve to do it. But like, hey, they won the World Series. Leave it alone. It was awesome. And then when 2011 happened, you're like, okay, we can admit it now. 06 wasn't that great (laughs) because 11, it was, you should know, it was the best best fan experience I've had in any sport of my entire lifetime. And, uh, And I think that team was legitimately really, really good. By the end, Alan Craig was great by the end of that year. Uh, it was a terrific team, and uh, they deserve to be there, even if even if uh, uh, they didn't have any starters go more than four innings. Really, much in the entire playoffs. I
1: don't um, know if
0: anybody's ever had
1: more Cardinals Devil Magic than Alan
0: Craig, based <laughs> on what happened. Every yeah,
2: year. I know, I know. Well, he got
0: hurt. He got hurt. He did get hurt.
2: Um, I, you mentioned Lance Berkman. I did not realize it until looking at looking at their baseball reference page right now that he led Lance Berkman led that team at the highest uh, OPS plus on the team, higher than Pools or. Mm-hmm. Um, or uh, Matt Holliday. Yeah. yeah. It's, uh, and he also obviously got that big hit in uh, in extra innings in uh, in Game 7 to, t- to tie the game up the second time, right? That's what it was like. Freeze to he- tied it up in, in the ninth, and then the Rangers went ahead again with, two, with a two-run homer by Hamilton in the 10th. Yeah. Yep. And then he did in the, bob, in the, in the bottom
0: of the tip, And he had the, he had the hit that tied it up with two outs. He had this great quote after the game where they asked him like, wow, when you're a kid, do you dream of that moment? And he's like, he's like, yeah, I always did. And then I was in it and I was like, this is terrible. I do not like this at all. I'm going to make it out to end the world series. I, I like he, he, it was, it was really funny that the way he described, it. he did not find it a pleasant experience at all until it was over, which is kind of really what sports is. All right, Mike,
2: uh, number 13.
1: Number 13, we are pretty much right at the midway point. And so I went with the most recent champions, the 2019 Washington Nationals, Uh, I think we know know, their story pretty well. By the way, we should all give them some sort of emotional boost for making sure that the Astros are not the defending champs right now. Uh, It's truly a service to America that they have done here. Um, Got off to an atrocious start. Everybody knows that the bullpen was a wreck all season long. For the last four months of the season, they were really good. And if we're going to go with the idea that you know, you need stars more than depth from the postseason. This team has stars, right? Scherzer and Strasberg and Corbin and obviously Rendon, uh, Trey Turner, Juan Soto. Juan Soto is incredible, and we got to see Juan Soto. And they also have, you know, the the out of no not out of nowhere necessarily, but you know, the old guys popping up with amazing seasons at the exact right time. Specifically, Howie Kendrick uh, had a great season in the home running hit in game seven. Um, it's also got you know, like kind of like the the same way the 16 Cubs had some stories, uh, Ryan Zimmerman hitting a home run in his first world series plate appearance, the first draft pick of the Washington franchise uh, coming and finally doing that at home. That was really cool. You know, it was a, it was a fun world series it was an insane world series with the road teams winning. And uh, they were a good team. I think in the middle of the, the pack of this group is exactly where they belong.
2: I'll buy it. Yeah. Um, We've talked about them a lot in the recent on, on recent uh, episodes of the show, so we'll move on to number fourteen, which is Will your pick? Uh,
0: the first team to win a World Series under the era that we're drafting from, it is the nineteen ninety five Braves, and you know it's funny. Uh, we a lot of time we don't think of this as one of the best Braves teams because just I think when we look at the calendar, I think we with the schedule and the baseball records we forget how few games there were in 1995. Because six of, of all those Braves teams that won the NL East from 91 to 2005, six of them won 100 more games. So this one didn't, but they were on a one on one 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 win pace. If they played once, because they probably had one. This feels actually like maybe it was one of the best Braves teams, and to me, the love of this. Mark Wallers was amazing, and I remember Mark Wallers being so fantastic this year. Um, but so much to me is Greg Maddox. You look at what Greg Maddox did this season. Uh, his ERA plus was 271. He threw 202 innings, by the way, in a 144 game season, by the way. He threw 202 innings and gave up four four home runs <laughs> like Maddox was absolutely unbelievable uh, this year and again I know 95 was maybe it's a great joke here in Georgia that the the one Braves team that won the World Series was the year that everyone was so mad at baseball that they weren't watching uh which I think is a, a generally kind of cursed Braves fan uh a thing but uh, I I of uh, I really wish i think we would think of this team more fondly if another braves team would have won one or if they would have won it maybe in a different season than this one but i love this braves team and I, and I, it's anything that's peak maddox for me is gold
1: how, how many guesses do you think you would need to give people or even yourselves to know who was the best hitter on that team by it by a lot Oof. it's not Fred mcgriff it's not <laughs> chipper jones it's not javi lopez it's not david justice
2: Oh, Do you have any takers? I see. You know, I we, actually, we talked about him on the podcast. Like oh, that's year. right. Like, no, like, I, like I, a I ago. Ryan Klesko. <laughs> Ryan
0: Klesko. Ryan Klesko. He was 24. Like, then, I guess this was his year. I guess this was the year.
2: He had a couple uh, good. Yeah, I, I had no idea he was that good in uh, in 1995. Uh, the thing that holds back this team in my mind, and I think they're probably being picked at around the right time, is that like, they might, I mean, the Indians were just a better team and so like there's almost an argument like in my mind that the Indians are actually the, you know, you could argue that the 95 Indians are as good as any team of the wildcard era. Um, they won hundred games in a 144 game season. <laughs> they led the league and run score. They allowed the fewest runs in the American league, which I think people forget their pitching staff was actually surprisingly really good that year. Uh, Dennis Martinez at 41 years old, had a 308 ERA in 187 innings. Um, it was like such a dominant team and it felt like that was going to be the Indians year. And, um, the fact that they didn't win the Braves one it just sort of it, it was a it was definitely like a a, a weird one that, that ended up being of all the years that ended up being the year that the the Braves won the World Series um number 15
1: mike i i was really surprised at myself to find that i took the 2015 Kansas City Royals um a team that i i should not i should not be associated with just because like you know the small ball and the the anti power and it just it's everything that i Uh, do not stand for but then this team was really good I mean they won 95 games that year Uh, they went out and made a couple of big moves for Ben Zobrist and Johnny Cueto it's it's always funny to think and I always forget this the team that actually won the World Series for the Royals they didn't have James Shields because he departed as a free agent and they didn't have Greg Holland in the playoffs because he got injured in September Uh, so you know they went into the, the postseason with Cueto who was not really that great for them uh, Edison Volquez, and Giordano Ventura. I think Jeremy Guthrie had to start at game seven at one point. Uh, but if you look at this team, you know, uh, this was like a good Hosmer year. You know, Lorenzo Cain was a star. Uh, Alex Gordon was a star. I, I can't get past the fact that Alcides Escobar hit lead off every day. I can't get past <laughs> Omar Infante getting 455 plate appearances with a 234 on base percentage, uh, which is unfathomable. And yet somehow through it all, like it, it worked, you know, like Ben Zobrist is obviously a great addition. Uh, this is a team that was only from five years ago. It feels like a team from 75 years ago. <laughs> this team could not succeed in major league baseball in 2020, but at that particular point in time, it, it was perfect. And I, I respect that.
2: They definitely had their moment and that they sort of, you know, the bullpen, even without Holland, was, um, was really, really good, uh, with rare and Davis and, and Madsen, um, whichever was good in that bullpen so like it's you know i i think i mean there's a couple of teams coming up that I probably wouldn't take him before them but like you know i could see it you know and
0: and well, i would say coffin stadium, it remains maybe the loudest i've ever heard a baseball stadium uh during that world series uh,
2: that at 14 that
0: place was unbelievably loud
2: um will number 16 who do you got this is a, uh,
0: this, this, is funny, this team had more power than that uh, Royals team. But they, I think when people think of them, they think of two things. They think of the Rally Monkey and they think of they were scrappy. This was a scrappy team. These 2002 Angels, you want to take them by the ear and scratch, they're so scrappy. Uh, it was just funny because, of course, they beat the Bonds. Uh, Giants team, the Bonds real only real close chance to, to winning a World Series, and I'm going back and looking at this series to watch that home run that he hit off Troy Percival, <laughs> which is uh, has to be. I mean, again, there was no Statcast, but as I mentioned in the piece, there was no Statcast, but Statcast still measures it at 4,000 feet. It is the longest home run that's ever been hit in the history of baseball. uh, uh That I think with the World Series, that that and the rally monkey, what I remember the most. But this team was really good. You know, they really they didn't have any major superstars, but they had a lot of guys having their best season at the right time, like. Tim Salmon, Troy Glauss, Garrett Anderson. I think Brad Fulmer was one of the best hitters on the team. But yeah, I think have all that scrap. They had a lot of scrap. Of course, they had the ultimate, the doctor of Dr. Funkenstein of scrap, and David Eckstein. Uh, but they had Scott Spezio. They had Darren Erstad, who was terrible during the regular season, but is still Darren Erstad. And uh, did you know he used to punt for Nebraska? Yes, we know <laughs> that he used to punt for Nebraska. Um, but uh, that, that team very much. It, you know, I when I thought about these teams and when I went, went to, to choose them, obviously, we look at how good they are, but I also feel like there's a certain magic when you have a team like the Angels, who, who are not like the Yankees, we have to choose between all these different teams and you can't tell. There was a certain kind of uh, uh, kismet that was kind of going on with the 2002 Angels, and uh, I, I found it kind of irresistible at the time, even though it did cost Barry Bonds getting a World Series ring, which uh, still does feel kind of wrong somehow.
1: And this was the team that, that pulled up 20-year-old uh, K-Rod at the end yeah. of the season, right?
0: Yeah, he threw more innings in the postseason than he did in the regular season. He had like five and two-thirds innings in the regular season and was dominant in like 13 in the, in the postseason.
2: A couple of interesting things about the team I just learned while researching them is that they didn't even win the division. The A's did. The A's won 103 games. The um, This was, I guess, you know, the quote-unquote money ball A's. Um, but the Angels won 99 games. And in fact, their run differential, their Pythagorean win-loss, was actually 101 and 61. So they actually like slightly quote unquote underperformed. This was like a, this was a really deep team. Their, their starting rotation was also really good, top to bottom. Again, they didn't have like the lights out So I guess actually, Jared Washburn was really good that <laughs> year. Um, had a 141 ERA plus. So it was a, it was a very good team. And um, it uh, it, it definitely had the, it, it. I think that to your point, well, people sort of looked at it as a scrappy team, but this wasn't like. This was actually like no, this was a, a really a really really good team, and uh, uh, but obviously you know they also almost they were losing what they were in, the, in game six, and Dusty Baker famously took you know gave the ball to was it Russ Ortiz and oh what might have been had you know the Giants held on and Bonds won the World Series, but uh, I guess well, we'll-
1: I'm, I'm, s- I'm scanning this roster here, and the name that pops out to me is Cody Bellinger's dad Clay Bellinger, <laughs> who. Uh, was like a, a utility guy for the Yankees for the previous three seasons, 99, 2000, 2001. So I got two rings out of that. He played in two games, got one plate appearance and struck out for the 2002 Angels and presumably got a third
2: <laughs> ring out of that. <laughs> I respect that. <laughs> nice work if he can get it. Yeah. Uh, all right, Mike, uh, number 17. Yeah,
1: the 2007 Red Sox. As we alluded to before, this is the team that's a little hard to to peg, right? The 18 Red Sox were fantastic. The 0 uh, broke the curse. The 13 team, you know, had the, the post-Boston Marathon impact. This team was a little hard to pin down. I mean, they they're very good, obviously. I'll say this for them. Uh, maybe the most dominating, no doubt about it, World Series performance of any of the teams on our list, uh, with, I guess, a special mention to your 04 St. Louis Cardinals, who we all knew had no chance. <laughs> the, the Red Sox over the Rockies in that postseason uh, was just absolutely dominant. 29 to 10 in a four-game sweep. And when I look back at this team, what I think is it's kind of like a, an interesting transitional period between the old Red Sox and the new, right? You still had Manny uh, the year before he got traded. You still had David Ortiz you, know, you still had Varitek and, and Schilling and all the guys who had been there a few years before. But all of a sudden now you've got 23-year-old John Lester and 26-year-old Jonathan Papelbon, uh, Daisuke Matsuzaka's first year. Dustin Pedroia, 23-year-old rookie. Uh, you know, you're starting to see like the next level of uh, or the next regime of, of Red Sox baseball here kind of mixing the old and the new uh, Jacoby Ellsbury, 23 years old that year, a 131 OPS plus. I I am just kind of laughing at some of the other names here. Like Willie Opeña was on this team. Uh, Doug Mirabelli was on this team. Royce Clayton was still playing in 2007. Who even knew? Uh, but yeah, it's, it's an interesting team. It was a good team. It's not a great team. Probably. I think we all agree the least memorable of these recent Red Sox title winning teams. Uh, and yet, if you can say that a 96 win world series title win team is not as interesting as your other winning teams, that's pretty good.
2: <laughs> they they did have that. They The ALCS that year was, was memorable. That was the year where they came back against the Indians three, one, which was like a pretty epic, epic comeback where um, Josh Beckett, you know, pitched, I think it was game five, where they were down three, one in uh In Cleveland and pitched like, you know, you know, a classic Josh Beckett October game. And there's that like sort of, I don't know if you're familiar with the story that apparently like um, Taylor Swift was supposed to sing the national anthem and she backed down at the last minute because she was just like getting famous and like had to go do something else. So they brought in this other country music singer who was Josh Beckett's ex-girlfriend. And Josh Beckham, like thought like, <laughs> thought that they were like trolling him and that was like he was like in the bullpen and he like, didn't realize like his ex-girlfriend was singing, singing the national anthem and that he went out you know he throws like you know eight shutout out innings or something um but uh what might have been for the indians had they uh, had taylor swift actually kept her kept her uh, national anthem gig but didn't um, jd drew have a big grand slam and that's i feel like he had a big grand slam in that series I mean, um, yes, I think so. I think that was like the moment where like Red Sox fans were like, okay, fine, JD Drew, yeah, like, fine, yeah, yeah. yeah we'll, <laughs> right. We'll, we'll tolerate you. Also, what <laughs> I didn't realize is that was the, that was when they signed Daisuke Matsuzaka, who was like a really big deal, and he was only okay, but he did lead the team in innings pitch, which I did not realize until this this, this moment.
0: <laughs> and I just watched Daisuke Matsuzaka pitch earlier this week in front of an empty stadium in Japan because that's how much I need baseball right now. <laughs> <laughs> All right, number eighteen, uh, Will. Speaking of Josh Beckett, uh, maybe he was dating this girlfriend, actually, at the time, when in 2003, because uh, he was, of course, on the 2003 Marlins, a team that's generally more famous for all the things that happened around them. I actually wrote about 2003 for my series of looking back at years in baseball history and 2003 had so many things that happened and the team that won the World Series is usually not the one that everyone remembers uh, of 2003 is really known the, the ALCS is known for that incredible uh, Yankees Red Sox series ending with the Aaron Boonhomer and the NLCS the Marlins are almost the, thought of as the recipient of uh, the Alex Gonzalez game which is what it should be called and we should all make sure to call it that uh, or the Moise Alu freak out game whatever really you want to call call it. Um but this world on scene was really fun when you actually kind of look at it. They've this great combination between like uh, established older players who were really good that year. You had Pudge, of course, as the leader. You had Mike Lowell. You had Derek Lee. Jeff Conine was still hanging around uh, on that team. But you also had Doncho Willis, who won Rookie of the Year that year. You had Beckett. And, oh, by the way, a 20-year-old Miguel Cabrera, which I encourage everyone to watch games from the Marlins of that year. If you watch Game 6 of the NLCS, you're like, who is that skinny guy that's really talented? Oh, it's Miguel Cabrera because he was 20 and really scrawny and skinny. Uh uh This was, I feel like we, this team of the Marlins team is the one I obviously prefer because the Yankees and the Red Sox and the, and the Cubs were so, so much that their drama kind of encapsulated so much of that postseason. No one really paid attention to that Marlin teams, but, and because it's the Marlins and uh, all that comes with that, but this was a really fun team. And I, I, I think they're better than they were appreciated. But, uh, I think that's, that's uh,
2: fair. The, the thing about, they had pudge and that was like the one year. Pudge was on, you know, he like swooped in on, like, I guess I think he sent a one year deal and, um, was you know part of the uh kind of the heart and soul of that team that that when they when they was it was they they played, I can't remember, was it against the Giants in the DS where they were like they the the um the Marlins threw out a base runner at home plate to end the series and the guy mm-hmm. tries to barrel over Pudge and yep. Pudge like yep. stands yep. up and he's like holding the ball uh-huh. in the air. Um, <laughs> that was one of my one of the cooler uh post one of my favorite sort of like. Kind of like random pussies and moments of uh of semi uh semi recent vintage. Um, number nineteen, the next pick you have, Mike.
1: The two thousand eight Philadelphia Phillies. When you think of these great, you know, late decade Phillies teams, you think of Roy Halladay and Roy Oswalt and Cole Hamels and Cliff Lee, uh, and then you realize those teams didn't actually win anything. Uh, when this team won, Cole Hamels was the ace. The number two starter was forty five year old Jamie Moyer. Who threw 196 innings, uh, followed by Brett Myers and Kyle Kendrick and the wrong Adam Eaton. This was a good team. Like right? it was not the Phillies team that you think of, but as any good uh, late decade Phillies team uh, would be fueled by Ryan Howard had a great year, Chase Utley had a great year, Jimmy Rollins had an okay year. Uh, you know the outfield, right? Pat Burrell, Shane Victorino, Jason Worth. I feel like sometimes we undersell this team because you know they're not the team with the rotations that they ended up having later. Uh, I had kind of forgotten how amazing Brad Lidge was this year. Brad Lidge, who I will always remember, as I imagine you will as well, Will, for basically just having his soul crushed by Albert Pujols like two years earlier, uh, had a 195 ERA, 41 saves, did not blow a save. You know, I don't care about saves or blown saves, but when you can do that, that's still really, really impressive. Uh, he finished fourth in the NLSI young voting. I think the only reason anybody remembers this team or the season is because of the World Series when they had that bizarre weather delay against Tampa Bay, uh, but still, this was a this was uh, a good team that I think showed the peak names of that that period, right? Like this was the Howard, Utley, Rollins team. If you are a Philadelphia fan, you cannot let that time period go without a ring, and this was the team that did it. Even if it's not exactly the team I would have expected. As a side note, I can also say, uh, growing up a Dodger fan, I will never forgive Matt Stairs for 2008 ever. <laughs> literally <laughs> never
2: <laughs> you mentioned Lidge like that's the thing the the, the pools moment happened in the 2005 uh NLCS and of course the, the Astros ended up going to the World Series anyway winning the the, the following night but um Lidge the next year was terrible he hit a five twenty eight ERA, and so everyone's like oh like that ruined him like that, that was the narrative was like that this was like the pools uh Home run had kind of crushed his soul and then he came back in 2007 again with the astros three three six era with 19 saves i was like okay i guess he's okay but he's not the same guy he had been because like he had that two or three year stretch um with the astros where he had been you know about as good as any uh reliever in the game and then so in 2008 he i don't know if he signed with the phillies or was traded to the phillies i cannot recall i'm trying to pull this up quickly um he was traded um by the Astros with Eric Bruntlett to the Phillies for Michael Bourne, Mike Costanzo, and Jeff Geary. I did not recall that. Um so yeah, there was kind of a light haul. I guess Michael Bourne was kind of a well thought out prospect, so was Mike Costanzo, but they weren't like blue chip guys, and um ends up you know recapturing that like vintage village form. It was probably the difference for them. They only won ninety two games. They were not they were by no means like a uh you know an overpowering team. And they again, they don't and speaking from from some painful memory, they it was the second straight year. They basically won the division and like the final weekend because like the Mets fell apart. So, <laughs> oh, um, but they took advantage and they won the world Tours. Um Number 20, Mr. Leach.
0: It's kind of surprising that there's a worst Yankees team during their run, but uh, I was happy to get the original recipe uh, 1996 Yankees with the 20 pick uh, two fun things about three fun things about this team. One, it was the first time the Yankees had won in 15 years, which you know, now is 11 now.
2: They made the world series in 81, but they didn't win. It was the first year they won. Oh, sorry. You're right. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.
0: And um, so 18 years is like, I mean, for Yankees, that's, I mean, for for the, for the Mariners, that's just not making the playoffs, but the Yankees, that is a a incredibly long period of time. And people went nuts. Like, you know, if you think of world series ending for the Yankees, it's Charlie Hayes catching that ball. Like, like there were, there were better teams that won the world series, but I think their breakthrough uh, so much was that team. Uh second, uh, which is the true number of veterans that got rings from this team is irresistible. Obviously, Wade Boggs was the most high-profile one, all the Red Sox fans having to watch him uh ride the horse <laughs> uh in the Yankees uniform from the World Series. But also Tim Raines, Daryl Strawberry, uh, Cecil Fielder, Dwight Gooden, Jimmy Key, David Cohn. Mariano Duncan and even Mike Aldretti, who I always had a soft spot for, uh, from way back in the day, very underrated. Let's remember some guys world series team. But, uh, to me, the really fun part, this is before Mariano Rivera was the closer. Uh, John Wetland was a closer on this team. So Rivera was basically Josh Hader or Andrew Miller. He threw 107 innings this year, which is the most he ever threw. Also, I'd remember that he actually started 10 games the year before this one until they realized, Oh wait, no, I think he, he might have a future in the bullpen. Uh, But it's fun to see that Rivera, like obviously, a Rivera who could throw more than any in appearance and would come in at uh w- whenever you kind of needed him it's kind of a fun thing to imagine because obviously uh, uh he would he would become Rivera later on but uh i i th- this was i feel like of all the Yankees teams that have won in the last uh, uh 20 uh, 25 years i feel like this is the one that made the Yankees fans happiest i would say
1: this team um i vividly remember this team meaning a lot to me and i'm not a yankee fan right but i grew up in new jersey I would have turned, I guess, fifteen, like not that long before the the World Series, like a couple of weeks, and it was a it was a special team, you know, in New Jersey at the time, because as you said, the Yankees hadn't been good for you know my entire life at that point. I know it wasn't very long, and you know to see the the team actually like winning for once. It's weird to talk about the Yankees as a team that didn't always win, but it was it was special at the time, and it was also kind of cool that they had pulled together some of these stars from other teams. As you mentioned, Wade Boggs, uh, Cecil Fielder on this team, you know, Daryl Strawberry, these guys that I had always identified on my baseball cards, Tim Raines with these other teams, all being on the Yankees that year, and then still having some of the guys from the absolutely atrocious early 90s Yankees teams that I grew up uh, going to games to see, like Scott Kamenicki. I don't know if that name means anything to anybody else, but <laughs> I remember watching Scott Kamenicki. I did not remember that 38-year-old Steve Howe was actually a part of this team. Uh, he somehow had a 2.6 strikeouts per nine. I don't think it's going to get it done. But yeah, I, I remember this team. I have fond memories uh, of this team, even though I had no personal connection to this team. I also remember um, having a t-shirt of this team after they won the World Series that had like the whole roster listed out. And for some reason to this day, I remember that they screwed up Jorge Posada's name and it read Jorge de Posada, which is offensive in like three different ways. Uh, but this this team meant something to me in in ways that like the 1997 Marlins did not.
2: Yeah, to, to, to echo that, um, that point, I was uh, I was in high school at the time and I, was, I went to high school in the Bronx. And I, obviously I was not a Yankees fan, but there was a ton of Yankees fans around me. And there was definitely something that felt, felt very special about that team. And as I kind of alluded to earlier, like this was not, you know, the traditional Yankee team where it felt like, Oh, they were like a bunch of hired guns. It was, yeah, they were kind of, you know, random free agents, but it wasn't like they'd gone out and, and bought a world series. It was this mix of like up and comers and, and, um, crafty vets. And they kind of pulled that. This, this was also the, uh, this is Derek Jeter's first year. It was also the, uh, Jeffrey Mayer year. Um, one other point on Rivera, it was his highest career war in the season. Um, obviously because mostly because of the innings pitch, he threw hundreds of innings. What I hadn't realized is he finished third in the AL Cy Young vo- voting, which is like kind wow. of progressive for the mm-hmm. Cy Young electorate of the time, considering he only had five saves. But I've always sort of thought that like, you know, I've never thought that like, you know, designated save accumulator guy who throws 65 innings should be Cy Young eligible or not eligible, but who should get Cy Young, you know, attention. But if like you throw a hundred plus innings all in high leverage spots, like, that's legitimate. So it's kind of uh, interesting that the the voters of 1996 saw that. He even got one first place vote. But uh, um, can you guys – do you guys remember who won the A.L. Award in 1996? Is it Clemens? Uh,
1: Clemens. No?
2: Pat Hankin.
1: Not... Oh, Pat Hankin. Jesus.
2: <laughs> uh, the uh, – Former Blue Jays ace uh, went 20 and 10 that year with a three, 3-2-2 ERA and in 265 innings. So uh, definitely, definitely workhorse. Uh, probably a worthy winner. He had a 156 ERA plus. Um, all right, uh, we're getting down to the getting down to the, the nitty gritty. Uh, the final five picks of the uh, Wild Card Era World Series Draft. Uh, Mike, 21st pick.
1: This is the best pick of the entire draft because I think we have all agreed that the 2010 Giants were superior to the 2012 Giants, who I picked like <laughs> 10 picks ago. So the fact that they're still here for me at 21, I, I think that works out pretty well for me. I, I think the reason that I uh, probably undersold this team a little bit is because you think about Bumgarner as like the main pitcher of this run. And I quickly eyeballed it and I said, oh, he was 20, you know, it was his first year up. He, he wasn't like peak Bumgarner yet. And that, that really undersells it. You know, in 18 starts, he had an even three ERA. And then, obviously, you know, as a twenty-year-old in the postseason that year, he was phenomenal. You know, he made four starts and he allowed five earned runs. He threw uh, eight innings of shutout ball at the Rangers in the World Series game. So you have him who's already like looking like peak Bumgarter, But Matt Cain was still fantastic. Lincecum was still fantastic. You know, this was the year that Jonathan Sanchez was actually really good. And he wasn't good for that long. Um, you were starting to see this peak bullpen. If you look at Brian Wilson, Sergio Romo. Santiago Casilla, the three of them combined for a 197 ERA. Um, And then, you know, the names in the lineup, Uh, Juan Uribe played shortstop for this team too, which totally (laughs) forgot about that. I'm looking at this right now for the first time and realizing this. Um, Posey was great. This was like the one great year uh, from Aubrey Huff and say whatever else you want to about him. He was objectively very good that year. Pat Burrell, that name again, uh, had a 136 OPS plus. And like I said, every edition of a Giants team has a you have to be kidding me guy. Uh, Cody Ross hit five postseason homers, and Andres Torres had a 122 OPS plus in nearly 600 play appearances. Andres the Giants Torres, double magic.
2: Andres Torres was second on the team in WAR that year, behind Aubrey Huff, yes. ahead of Buster Posey and Matt Kane, among others. Um, this was like the one year where Gooden was on a World Series team. Like, I don't even know if he was even on the 2014 Giants or if he was, he was not like a factor. In 2012, he pitched out of relief, but he was not Tim Linsingham. Um I think I think we talked about this a couple weeks ago on the podcast, and I was referring to like, sort of like older players who were before my time, who like, when I was a kid, I sort of maybe didn't give them their due because they weren't Hall of Famers. So like, there are players that maybe that like, you know, I'd heard about, but I was like, oh, how could, could he be? He's not in the Hall of Fame. And I feel like for future generations, Tim Linsingham was the kind of player that like, will fall into that where like he might be lost to history a little bit because people won't really, because his, his peak was so short and then he just kind of flamed out. Um, Cause even 2010, he wasn't that good in 08 and 09 was when he was like, you know, he won the Cy Young award both years. But like for that, there was that two or three year stretch where he was basically appointed viewing. He was like as, as exciting and interesting as any pitcher uh, in the game. So I always thought it was kind of, it was in retrospect, it was good that like at least like one good version of Tim Lincecum even if he wasn't quite as dominant, was on was a key part of one of the Giants' teams. Um, number
0: twenty two, Mr. Leach. Uh, before I say this, I just want to know when you guys were talking about Cody Ross. I looked up Cody Ross on. Uh, uh, I just uh, did. You know that according to to Wikipedia, Cody Ross's nicknames had two nicknames: Toy Cannon and Ross the Boss. I do not think anyone ever I, I, anyone ever called him. Either one of those names. I don't think they know. Wait, wait, wait,
1: wait. Toy Cannon?
0: Yes. For real? Yes. And Ross the Boss.
1: Toy Cannon. <laughs> I mean, news just came out like a half an hour ago that the actual Toy Cannon, Jimmy Wayne, had passed away. <laughs> i like, that is the Toy Cannon. Nobody else can be Toy Cannon.
2: Yeah, especially since that's like a legit all time great nickname. So yeah. I think someone's been messing with the Wikipedia pages or something. My um, Cody Ross. Oh, yeah, so- <laughs>
0: Yeah, I'll pick my team. Sorry, I just got so excited. Ross, the boss, like I don't. Mike, Mike, Cody
2: I, Ross. He was one of the rare uh, bats ready throws lefty guys. That's always, my my always. Oh, think right, about yes. when, I, when I think about Cody Ross.
0: Yes, uh, my, my son actually throws left and bats right, and I always tell him Ricky Henderson and Ryan Ludwig, but now I have <laughs> yeah, Those are the other two. Those are the other two. Okay, sorry. Uh, uh, okay, I have the 2000, uh, 2000 Yankees uh, is my choice I could pick. This is probably the worst of the Yankees team. They only won 87 games. I probably think it was actually worse than that. Uh but, you know, I 2000 was the first year I lived in New York City and uh, I was, you know, I was from the Midwest and I was confused by this big Yankees thing, except I, I I didn't know much about New York City other than the fact that, well, the Yankees are obviously going to end up winning the World Series <laughs> and they did. And, uh, you know, this was definitely not the most uh, thrilling team. I think they're really known more for uh, what happened to the World Series and Roger Clemens selling the bat uh, and everything. But, you know, it. It's funny to think now. In addition to like the older players, like Jose Canseco was on this team, Felix Jose, I could not believe that Felix Jose was on the two thousand Yankees. Uh, but it, this ended up being this ended up being the last one of that run. It didn't feel that way at the time it felt like okay if this yankee like it wasn't like you watch this team and thought oh wow they're completely out of gas they just crawled their way to the championship it felt like oh yeah this is what they do they're going to do it all the time and so it's funny to think that this what this team of all of them ended up being the last one the one that everyone kind of accepts not only was the worst of the world series teams but probably worse than some of the teams they would have in the coming years to come
2: oh yeah for, mm-hmm. just, i mean they, they kind of you know, after 2001, when they lost in seven games to the D backs, that's when they, you know, we talked about before they went and got Giambi and made a bunch of big free agent signings, Giambi and Messina, and they were winning 100 games regularly. They just were not, you know, succeeding in, in the postseason. The, team was weird. They won 87 games, but they also were terrible in September. They were late. Like, they lost like, you know, like eight of their last 10 games or something. And it was just like, what's going on with this team? Um, there was this whole like, oh, the momentum is not going to happen. Of course, the playoffs came. They, you know, were the usual Yankees, and then they uh, won the Subway Series. And did, did you guys worked. remember? Go ahead.
1: I was gonna say did you guys remember that they almost kicked away the division entirely? They were up nine games on September 13th, dropped 15 of their last 18, uh, and being than I swept <laughs> swept in Tampa Bay by a bad Devil Rays, Devil Rays team, uh, and ended up winning the division by only two and a half games, which I guess proves uh, the lie that
2: momentum heading into the postseason never, ever matters. <laughs> it is pretty amazing how the Yankees had that knack in that era for just like the random veterans showing up on their roster. As you mentioned, there was a couple of these, a couple of others that you even, uh, Lance Johnson apparently got 30, 30 play appearances wow. for the 2000 Yankees. Uh, Jose Vizcaíno, <laughs> uh, Luis Polonia showed up again. Um, there was definitely some, some, you know, some guys that uh, came back and got a ring on the, uh, on that team. Uh, all right, we're down to the final three picks. Uh, Mike, number 23. So the final three teams here,
1: uh, we didn't pick one Marlins team, one Giants team, one Cardinals team. I had no particular opinion about any of the three teams, but I very specifically wanted to see if I could get Will to pick that last Cardinals team that I knew he did not want to pick. Uh, and he went, it. he went for it. He took the bait. So at 23, I chose the final San Francisco team, the 2014 team. I think most people would agree this is probably the weakest of the three teams. Um, You did have peak Bumgarner, but Lincecum was not very good. And Kane was not very good. Uh, Ryan Wilson was, I can't remember either gone or injured at this point. Uh, So, you know, you still had Romo, but then it was like Jeremy Affelt and JC Gutierrez. um, They did trade for Jake Peavy late in the year. And he was very good. The one thing that this team did have going for them was the lineup was, was actually really deep. They had nine different hitters uh, who had at least 200 plate appearances post no PS plus of 100. I mean, that's, that's really good. This team, you know, still had Posey, uh, but then they added Pence and then it had guys like that was the good Joe panic year and and Brandon bell. Um, Every team, every giants team has to have a guy who comes out of nowhere and does something really good. Mike Morse had a 130 OPS plus Mike Morse, who I always loved. um, I I was always a big fan of those, like, uh, you know, first base outfield, righty, lefty, smashing guys like Steve Pierce, mike Morris. i always thought scott van slake was going to be one of those guys um i will say for this team i don't think there is a single plate appearance in the history of major league baseball that i had more confidence in than madison bumgarner getting salvador perez to go after some breaking garbage in the dirt there's never anything i would ever say i'm more confident about than that and he did that yeah
2: two points will make a Two oh, right. points i am make this team, and looking them up now, and I'll, I'll, I'll retract what I said earlier. I didn't realize I had forgotten that Lincecum did make 30, or 26 starts for that team. He wasn't very good, but I guess he was. He was on the team. It just was like he was, you know, nothing like the the peak version um, that uh, had dominated a few years earlier. I think with with, with this team is um, in the last few years we've seen kind of like the rise of the super team, and this by comparison felt like. I mean, you look at like this team and you compare it to the 16 Cubs or the 17 Astros, the 18 Red Sox, it just seems really kind of weak in comparison. They only won 88 games. They 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 they, they were the first, they were the first team since they went to two wild cards to win the World Series having won the wild card game. Um so it definitely like it, there was no feeling of like, oh, this was this was a dominant team.
0: Well, I, I I I don't think of this as the World Series. I think of this as the origin story for Mason Saunders. <laughs> this is really how I' start now.
1: speaking of non dominant teams, <laughs> yeah sorry,
0: yeah, it 's late, sorry, no jokes, no jokes. <laughs> uh okay, so my final pick, uh perhaps inevitably is uh the two thousand and six cardinals it's the two thousand and six cardinals uh i just couldn 't let them p- be picked last, i just couldn 't do it uh this team was not good uh to be very clear uh it's funny the last few years. Uh, I whenever the tigers would hang on a little later uh, than they probably should have I always thought that like they were going to be the 2006 cardinals I always use the 2006 cardinals as the example of a team that didn't deserve to win the world series but was an old version of pl- with players that probably deserved to win it two or three years earlier so that was the way I always made my uh justified this if you look at you know this team was not good uh there's a terrible thing they won eight, there was a terrible division they won 83 games and they still almost collapsed late. It took a Scott Spezio triple uh, in the next last game of the year For them to be able to cleanse the division And then they got the Padres in the in the first round And then of course I don't remember what happened I don't remember the NLCS Matt I don't remember what happened It was a long <laughs> time ago uh, But what, what's fun about this To me the fun part about this this Cardinals team uh, Looking back at it now It was the first year for uh, It wasn't Molina's first year But it was his first year really as a starter He'd kind of been, uh, kind of been Mike Bethany's backup After that Molina and Wainwright Really started their interaction that year we met was the closer and Pujols and it was was great, but it actually was not very good in the postseason. Really, the fun of this team were just the random dudes that came out of nowhere and were great in the postseason. Uh, there was a uh, Jeff Weaver who was who won Game Five in that series where the Tigers just made errors every every the, the every good Tigers pitcher made an error. Jeff Supon was the MVP of the NLCS. Anthony Reyes of all people was dominant and outdueled Justin Verlander. Uh, uh, not just Verlander, but he he. Won- Won game one. This was also the series that that Kenny Rogers had supposedly the rosin on his, uh, on, on his hand in the series. Uh, Chris Duncan, the late Chris Duncan, was probably the Cardinals' second best hitter this whole postseason. But of course, we all know why the Cardinals really won this World Series. They had David Eckstein on the team. David Eckstein was on the <laughs> team. That's why it happened. He was the magic guy that made it all happen. So, uh, again, this team, i was there. this is the one time I've ever been there to see. the. I was there at Game at game 5 uh, with my parents uh, to watch this in a on a freezing, rainy night, uh, ending a series that everyone else in the world thought was miserable and were not wrong. But for me, it was absolutely glorious. This was not a good team, uh, but uh, flags fly forever, and I don't think any Cardinals fans are giving this one back
1: this this reminds me of the long ago times where Yachty Molina was just a glove, right? Like that year he hit 216, 274, seventy-four, three twenty-one. He obviously became a very good hitter. Uh boy, you guys gave a thousand middle infield plate appearances to Aaron Miles and David Eckstein, huh? And that worked out. Good for
0: you. Yeah, good
2: for you. Well, that was the thing. When when he when Molina hit the go-ahead homer in game seven of the NLCS against Aaron Heilman, that's sort of what was so shocking about it at the moment it was like that guy I mean, Heilman at the time was a good reliever and it was like Yanni Molina of all people. You know, this is a light hitting catcher who can't. You know, who's worthless at the plate, and then he hits the go ahead homer. Of course, though, so I will say, in my mind, um, and I, I, it's, it's ridiculous to look at now. The Mets were ninety seven to sixty five. The Cardinals twenty three games. But I've always felt that you know, the real go of that series for me was Billy Wagner giving up a home run to Soda Cucci in game two because the Mets were up one nothing in the series. They were up. Uh, I guess it was five three late. And then, um, or 6-4 late, they gave up, Guillermo Moto gave up two runs in the seventh, to make it 6-6, six, six, and then Billy Wagner comes in the ninth, 6-6 six, six game, and he gives it a home run to Sotaguchi. This was, you know, their high-priced closer at the time, and that just changed, that just changed the whole series, because the Mets were on the verge of going up 2 nothing. they were obviously the better team, um, but, uh, you know, in retrospect, you know, Aaron Heilman for giving up the home run to... Melina and then Beltron for striking out became like the symbols of the the goats of that series but for for me it has always been always been Billy Wagner. All right, last pick. We made it guys. Yeah. Mike, drum roll please. If you've been if you've been paying close attention, you will have figured it out by now. The final pick. The 1997 pick. Florida Marlins. Woo! They
1: I mean they always have a place in history, right? The first wild card team to win the World Series. Um I I really you know, they're last for a reason. They weren't a great team. They scored the twentieth, twentieth most runs in baseball. You know, they finished nine games out behind the Braves. But I, I have to say, I got a kick out of this when I went and did a little bit of research on this team, just because I didn't really remember them that well. Um, the, do you remember what the narrative was about that World Series at the time? Either of you? I no,
2: do not. I mean, I remember the, there was the. I remember there's the narrative about the the Marlins winning. On the Levon Hernandez getting all the, the big strike zone against the Braves.
1: Oh, there's that. No. The, the, this for anybody who has only been following baseball for like the last 20 years, this this next statement is going to absolutely melt your face off. The Marlins were accused of buying a World Series.
0: <laughs> that's right. <laughs> because
1: in nineteen before the ninety-six season <laughs> they had signed like Kevin Brown, you know, Al Leiter, Devon White, and then before ninety-seven it was Moise Salou and Alex Fernandez, Bobby Bonilla. Uh, they went out and got Jim Leland, right? They're like, oh, those big, in Florida Marlins. Uh, and it worked. Like, they were really, you know, they weren't great. Obviously, they won the World Series. Uh, but it, it's just funny. You, you don't think about them that way. And then, obviously, very shortly after the World Series, they they tore all that down. Uh, the one thing I will say about this team, I have always thought that maybe the, the number one uh, most underrated pitcher in baseball maybe Kevin Brown, who I thought should have been a Hall of Famer. He got no support. I know it wasn't necessarily very popular. Personally, He bounced around to a bunch of teams, but he had uh, two seasons with the Marlins. He had a 2.30 ERA in 470 and a third innings. Um, this this starting rotation was full of like man, like really interesting names, right? Kevin Brown, 22 uh, year old Levan Hernandez, Al Leiter, Alex Fernandez. Like I said, Pat Rapp, uh, Tony <laughs> Saunders. I'm sure I had so many teal colored baseball cards of these guys uh, back in the day. And you know the lineup wasn't great, like you know. Jeff Conine was okay. Edgar Renteria at 20, you know, wasn't that great. Uh, But, you know, Bonilla, Moise Salou, Charles Johnson, Gary Sheffield, those guys all mashed. Uh, Those are definitely names. Here's uh, some guys I did not remember ever played for the Marlins. Darren Dalton was on the Marlins. I had no idea that was true. Uh, John Cangelosi, who I remember from like the 1987 Pirates or whatever, was on this team. And um, yeah, the Marlins, that's, I guess, the right team to end this on. Um,
0: I'm just glad that I'm just glad that Josh Booty got his ring.
2: <laughs> yeah, you know, I think that's important. Kevin Kevin Brown, even the year the year before that, his first year with the Marlins, uh, he had uh, a one eight nine ERA in two hundred and thirty three innings and finished second in the Cy Young voting to John Smoltz, who had an ERA a run higher, um, which I don't think would would happen today. And maybe the narrative around Kevin Brown is a little different if he has uh, a Cy Young award. The other thing about that ninety seven Marlon's team is that they played the the indians in the world series and this was sort of like um the indians weren't very i mean they won 86 games so This was like it was weird that they almost like snuck it snuck their world series two years after having that like you know all-time great roster so it was just like it was a very like underwhelming um world series matchup of two teams that were like not that not that impressive that season <laughs> Well, look, guys, this
1: is um, by far our longest ever podcast. and yeah, I, uh, I
2: take responsibility for that. That's probably. No, delightful. no, no. I had a feeling it was going to go this long. Hopefully for people to yeah, no, no, ride no. some oh. sort of, you know, uh, distraction, something to, to to pass the time as they wait for, for real baseball.
1: Well, I, that's what I say. When we started, Matt said that, you know, you had been looking forward to this uh, all week. And I, I have to be totally honest, for the last one hour, 23 minutes and 52 seconds, I've had a smile on my face. This has been. Uh, a great you. deal of fun. And I, I appreciate both of you very much for that. That's our show. That is MLB.com. Yeah, uh, thanks, Will, MLB. for, for joining us. Yes, thank you, Will. Uh, our story will be up on the site and uh, we'll probably end up doing a couple of more of these together, uh, at least in story, if not in podcast form, over the next couple of weeks and or months because they're fun and Lord knows we all need fun right now. So that is our show. That is the MLB.com Stackcast podcast. Thanks so much for listening. See you next week.